Tis, this is Kari Nordekian, the founder of Quidix. Today, I'll be sharing Anna's story. It's based on a real interview taken by our team member, Miriam Avagyan. While this is a true story of strength, it is also a story of pain, with themes of physical and mental abuse. Before you listen, we'd also like to let you know that all names and locations have been changed to preserve the privacy of our Quidix. Thank you for listening to the stories of Armenian women. My name is Anna. I was married when I was 26. I have two brothers and two strict parents. In high school, we had only three boys in our class. Every time my classmates went somewhere to hang out, I was the one that wasn't allowed to go with them. My father was worried that I would interact with the boys. I wanted to go to college, but my parents didn't support it. We were poor and couldn't afford to pay for it. But I cried and I insisted and I started school at the medical college. The year was 2000 and I was staying with my aunt in Yerevan. To make money on the side, I used to do work in the field, cutting hay for others to save up and pay for my education. Even though I was in college, I still wasn't allowed to spend time with my classmates to make sure I didn't bring shame upon my parents. I never went anywhere other than from home to school and back. I think I was pretty so people would see me and then like me. Eventually, boys started showing up to my home. People would come to our house and ask for my hand. I wouldn't talk to them. I was worried that my parents would think that going to college meant I was talking to boys and then they wouldn't let me study anymore. But these were just people who had seen me, and they liked me. In 2003, I was called to work as a nurse at Tallinn Hospital, but they wanted a bribe of $2,000. We were poor, so we didn't pay, and obviously I didn't get the job. I stayed home, helped with housework, did laundry, cooked for my parents and my brothers, lived a boring life at the house. One day, word got around that one of the villagers decided he really liked me as a Tanachchik, a girl you'd take home and marry. I knew what he looked like because we went to the same high school. He was quiet, had a handsome but sad face. He and his family came to my house to ask for my hand. I had never talked to him. My parents didn't like him, but I was so desperate not to be the maid of my house. So I agreed to marry him anything to get out of that situation. I couldn't live like that anymore. I realized that every time I run away from something, it chases me and bad things happen anyway. But I had said yes and my hell started. So I had a ring on my finger after the choskap, the verbal agreement on the marriage at my parents' house. I told my soon-to-be husband that I was going to go visit my aunt with my mom and that I'd be back home by four. My mom and I ended up coming back around six. My father told me that while we were gone, my fiancé and his parents had called to check in at four to see whether I was home or not. When they found out I wasn't home, they had bad-mouthed me, called me names, especially my fiancé's father. He yelled at my dad and said, didn't we tell her to be home by four? One day, my fiance asked me to go to his parents' house with him. He lived at his parents' house. We visited his guests, but then they didn't let me come back to my house. 
They told me that I had to stay at their house and become their bride. This was one week after the Choskap. At Choskap, they put a ring on my finger. About a week later, he invited me to his house. It was supposed to be just to visit. There was no wedding. My parents didn't know that this would happen. My dad got upset at them. This wasn't what he planned with his in-laws. My new in-laws didn't let me leave the house. At this time, I was having a really hard time concealing my shock. Was this a new form of bride kidnapping or had it been around for some time? I had heard about and personally known people who were forced into cars and kidnapped. But inviting someone to your parents' house and locking them in? That was new to me. I think I wanted to marry him because my parents never let me go anywhere or interact with anyone. They were terrified that I would talk to boys and bring shame to the family. All I did was housework and studies. One day, a handsome guy shows up at my door and asks for my hand. Of course I'd say yes. I was 26, ready to leave my parents' house as soon as I could. How could I know that in a week after meeting this boy, it would be so that I couldn't come back home again? When I didn't come home that night, my parents pretty much knew what happened. I left home with my fiancé and didn't come back. It was over. Whatever happened to me, if I didn't come home for the night, they were done with me. It didn't take a genius to figure it out. When a girl becomes a woman, she can't return home anymore. So you either commit suicide or you stay with the boy. My new family bought me one set of clothes in their taste. My father-in-law got me those big grandma underwear. He told me they would keep me warm so I could get pregnant easily. I didn't get pregnant for two to three months. It was a catastrophe for them. Every time the guests would visit or I'd get my period, my husband reported to his mother, his mother reported to his father. They would start saying things like, Vi, my house is ruined. One day, I finally got pregnant. I was so happy. My in-laws used to repeat with strong voices. In our household, there shall be no girl. We don't want a girl. You have to do everything to make sure it's a boy. They told me they didn't want a girl because my father-in-law's sister got pregnant when she was 20, but her husband and his family did not take care of her. So she died. So they decided that having a girl meant having a liability. Girls were just a waste of resources. My father-in-law used to pick the best fruit from the garden and give it to me, saying, eat, eat, so you bring a boy to us. Suddenly, I was already three months pregnant and we went to the doctor to find out the sex of my child. These three months were the only time I was happy about being pregnant. Now, whenever I see Nurse Vardushik from Tallinn, I hope that she doesn't remember me. I feel ashamed. She probably thinks I'm a freak. We went to the hospital. My baby's dad wasn't there. Only my in-laws came with me. They were waiting outside as Vardushik did the echo. Vardushik tells me it's a girl. She goes to the door to tell my in-laws, but I ask her to stop. I beg her not to tell them. She tells me that she has to tell them because they paid her. I beg her not to. I tell her my life would change if they find out it's a girl. Vardushik apologizes and goes on to tell them. She opens the door and says, it's a girl. My child's grandfather says, that's impossible, check again. Vardushik responds, I've checked, it's a girl. He says, okay then, Anna, get ready. 
we're going to get your abortion now. I told him no. I told him this was going to be my baby, my first baby, and she had to be born. I started sobbing and I couldn't stop. He got worried that I would make a scene, so he told me to wear socks to make sure I didn't catch a cold. We went home and it all started. I wasn't given much food to eat. They gave me a lot of tough, heavy housework to do. Asked me to carry heavy weights, bring water in big containers, do this, do that, also I would lose my child naturally. They made me carry big packs of hay for the cows, climb trees to pick fruit, hoping I would fall down the tree and lose my child. But my girl was tougher than them. Every day I would get exhausted. I would sit by the bread shelf and rest my head against it. They didn't let me eat much food. I only ate bread, cheese, and tomatoes. My parents didn't visit much either. One day they came over and my mom brought me my favorite cake with walnuts and cinnamon so I could enjoy it. When they saw me wearing men's rubber slippers, mismatched clothing, and looking pale, they didn't even say anything because my in-laws were there. They sat down, I cut the cake, and passed it out to everyone. I wasn't allowed to sit with them at the table. When they left, there was no cake left for me. My mom, she would speak up. She just felt like she couldn't speak at that table. So nine months passed. Every day after long days of hard work, I would sit down and cry. One day I sat down and cried. I remember I looked down, my tears dropped on my belly. As if Nana felt my sadness, she started moving. I had Nana at the hospital. My parents arrived in the morning. There were people around me who also had babies. Their family showed up with flowers and smiles, regardless of the baby's sex. They were all so happy and cheerful. Nobody brought me anything. No congratulations. The hospital was not responsible for feeding patients, but the nurse gave me some food so I could give milk to my nane. The women around me were all discharged from the hospital. Everyone left. I begged the nurse to stay a bit longer. I didn't want to go home. Luckily, the weekend was coming up, so I stayed there for two more days. It was the quietest two days I ever spent with my baby. On Monday morning, Nana's dad showed up and told me that if we go home, there can be no sounds of crying as to not disturb his dad. Apparently, my father-in-law had specifically ordered so. He did not want anyone to know that there was a baby girl born in his house. So we went home. I tried really hard to make sure that my baby didn't cry. As soon as she would sleep, I did some housework. I didn't take her out of my bedroom from September to May. Later, whenever my father-in-law left the house, I took Nana outside to get some fresh air. My father-in-law told me many times that he was gonna do everything to make sure Nane became mentally ill. They just wanted to get rid of her. They named her Nane Karine without asking me, but they didn't even give me food. Why would they ask me what to name my daughter? I breastfed Nane, but I couldn't make much milk because I was hungry most of the time. So I started giving her condensed milk. Nane became like a balloon. It was almost like someone used a pump to blow her up. Nane wouldn't stop crying after that, so my father-in-law started yelling, Shut her up! I got scared and took Nane to the hospital. They told me I wasn't allowed to give her condensed milk, that she was way too young for that. So I started feeding her borscht. When Nade was about one year old, she was running around in a baby walker in the backyard while I was doing housework inside. My father-in-law wasn't home, so I had snuck Nade out. We had peach trees that were in full blossom, beautiful and so full of flowers. So Nane approached one, picked one single flower, and started looking at it with interest. To my surprise, my father-in-law came home at that moment. He wasn't supposed to be home for a while. 
If I knew he was coming, I would have taken Nane to the bedroom. He saw that Nane picked a flower off the tree, got furious, took a fly swatter, and went towards Nane. He started hitting Nane with the fly swatter. My Nane wasn't even one year old at the time. He kept hitting her, and she cried so much that she couldn't cry anymore. Nane turned blue. I saw this from the house and was on my way to stop it when Nane's dad stopped me. He said, don't go. Let him take out his anger and calm down. If you go, he'll get angrier and hit you too. I didn't care. I went to save my Nane, but my father-in-law took his AK-47 and pointed it at me. He told me if I came closer to Nane, he would kill me. But Nane was looking at me, reaching her hands to me, as if asking for help. Nane's dad held my hands behind my back, not letting me move. That day, I decided that when they went to sleep, I would take Nane and go to my parents' house. The same day, my father-in-law's brother came to surprise visit us. He was excited that we had a baby, so he hugged Nane and started playing with her. Nane was rolling around in the walker, happily. She suddenly bumped into the china cabinet and one of the special china plates fell down and broke. At this moment, my father-in-law got furious and threw his water glass at Nane. Luckily, it missed her and hit the wall just above her head. It shattered into pieces and fell onto her head. She was saved by God, and that was the day I had to run away. I think Nane's dad had realized that I was planning something. He had locked the bedroom door at night, but I got out anyway. I left late at night with Nane. There were so many stray dogs outside. It was dangerous. I walked to my parents' house and told them if they didn't accept me, I would take my baby and leave. They let me come in. The next morning, Nane's dad called and told me to come outside with Nane so he would bring me back to his home. I told him never. This was 2008. I told him, get away from me. I wish you the best of luck, but forget about me and Nane. I don't want to live next to a man like you. My parents told me that they expected me. They told me that I should have listened to them and not married that guy. In no time, I was back to my previous life. Housework, laundry, cooking. Nane wasn't talking at all. I think she was scared. I was so depressed. Nane would cling on to me, want to hug me all the time, and would scream if I wasn't hugging her back. I started resenting her because I thought she ruined my life. I couldn't even look at her. I cried a lot. I had no idea why Nane didn't stop crying. I didn't know what to do. Nobody helped me, not even my mother. I was completely alone, even though I lived with my parents and my two brothers. But nobody cared. From the stress and apparently due to the complications, I started having problems with my eyesight. I have a hard time seeing even now. But slowly, I got myself together. I told myself that Nane needed me. She never talked, only screamed and hugged me. So I conjured my strength and started taking care of her. I started playing with her, helped her develop her speech, and did other things that a mother is supposed to do. My parents didn't want me to get a job. I was told to stay home and raise my child. When Nane was almost three years old, I don't remember how, but I got inspired and insisted that I started working again. I got a job as an ambulance nurse. They again demanded a bribe, but at this point my brothers were working. Because I helped them pay for their tuition, they gave me some of their money. I started working as a nurse in 2009. It felt really good to leave my in-laws house. I then left my parents' house. If I worked before I got married, I would have never agreed to marry so recklessly. I would have had opportunities. I would get to know people. I think I'm talented and smart. I could have made a good career, but it is what it is. I work only six days in a month, but it was thrilling. 
I started enjoying taking care of Nana more. It's my habit to get devoted. I'm very loyal, so I always end up in such situations. People invade my life, mess it up, because I trust them and let them in. I lost seven years of my life. If I was on my own, I would have amounted to something. Now I live with Nana and Yerevan in a rental apartment. I am always tired. I work a lot taking care of elderly people, but at least I can go sit down and take a breath without anyone telling me what to do. I have always let people take advantage of me, but I am done. Thank you for listening to Anna's story. Hearing is the first step to listening and listening makes us stronger together. We will be posting a follow-up article on bride kidnapping on our website, queedeeks.org. For updates, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at queedeeks. A very special thank you to Anna and her daughter for participating in this interview process. Also, we'd like to give a special shout out to our team member, Miriam Abagyan, for her incredibly hard work. You're making history, Miriam. We love you. And Queedix, we love you too. Until next time, Sirov, Kadim. <laughs>